This is the Be On Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chrono-geobiological flow. That is, we're following the chronology of the book of Acts and then veering off to the places, people, and topics that are addressed in the book of Acts. And and this is one of those. You know, last week in the book of Acts, we, uh, we discussed the council at the Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and there a man named James, the brother of Jesus, made a declaration that helped guide the course of Christianity. Today we look at the letter James wrote that is in our New Testament. So here we are with, with James. Now let's, I'm going to start off, Ben, uh, today by just looking at who is this guy named James. We, we talked about him a bit in the la- last podcast. But let's just dive into his background a little bit, as as much as we uh, can or have time for. And one of those is back in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 53, Jesus comes home after some, some ministry time. So in Matthew 13, 53, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Because see, they knew him growing up. They said, verse 55, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, there he is, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. I I find this next verse to be fascinating. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So right at home, right among his community, Nazareth at that point in time was a very small town. So if his brothers and sisters were there, everybody knew them. It was a very, very small town. They were a good chunk of the town, and they didn't believe in him. They didn't have faith in him. And because of that, he was not able to or didn't do many miracles that were there. In another place, in Mark chapter 3, you referenced this at our previous podcast, but in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, there's an episode when it says, Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. So things didn't start off well between Jesus and his family. I mean, you know, they they didn't believe in him. They thought he was crazier than crazy glue. I mean, they they like so James in the in the beginning, and he's listed first. I don't know if he's the oldest brother. Therefore, after Jesus, uh, I don't know if there's a little competition going on. You know, brothers can do that. I got you got a brother. I've got several. Um, there, there can be some competition going on. I don't know what's happening here, but uh, you know, if, if somebody came along and said to me that my brother, any of them, was claiming to be 
the Messiah. I would know that he was um, nuts. So James' beginning is like this, and he's trying to figure out who who Jesus is and can't quite grasp it. Now, but we saw that he does eventually, and he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And in Acts 15, he speaks up and and sort of rescues the church and makes a declarative statement so that people don't have to get circumcised in order to become Christians. And he he stays in leadership in the in Acts chapter 21, in verses 18, uh, seven, 18, we see that he's still there when Paul and the rest of the people are, are showing up. And J, it says James and all the elders were present. So James becomes then a prominent leader in early Christianity in its headquarters in Jerusalem and becomes something. something. What is there for us in this? Like you go from a place of, I'm not believing my brother is that. I grew up with the guy, you know, to this place where he's risking his life for Jesus, who had by this point been crucified and, and risen and ascended into heaven. And it's now several years later, and he, he's standing like, what, what's the, the learning that we can have from this whole life of James? I, I think that it's just a tribute to God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ, um, that your uh, yesterday is not indicative of your present. That's good. And so with that, James was <clears throat> obviously uh, far afield from, from, from Jesus you know, as we, as you referenced here a second ago in the passage in Mark, he, he thought he was, uh, you know, thought Jesus was nuts, that he had, was out of his mind. And, and now we see James having received Christ, having re- received God's redemptive grace and, and love. Now we see him uh, leading the church in, uh, in Jerusalem. So James is this guy who said, hey, don't make it difficult for people. We're not going to require them to be circumcised, all this stuff. We're not going to hold, put a bunch of rules on there. But the book of James stands apart from much of the rest of the New Testament, and it kind of talks about living your life in a way that can be seen by others and, and to, to live your life in such a way that, that works matters. The, the way we live our life matters that doesn't save us. James doesn't say that by any means, but he goes on to write this. You get any thoughts about like why he, he felt the need to write this letter, which would kind of put faith and our deeds up together and say, by no, I, by no means does he say they save us, but he says that you can see my faith through them. Any, any reasons that you can think that James would have felt compelled to write this? I think James is just uh, writing against kind of the, the what they call you know antinomianism, anti-law, that the idea that you know I've come to faith in Christ and now I can live however I want. And both Paul and, and James and Peter, for that matter, and John are all on the same page, and Jude are all on the same page uh, in their writings throughout the New Testament. Because even as, you know, Paul uh, makes much of the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ, there is always, in all of Paul's letters, there's always the therefore. 
Therefore, having received Christ, live your life as an offering unto God. And so, and then Paul draws out the implications of that, of a, a life of holiness that God has called us to. And James is writing to, uh, to, the, to the church, to uh, persecuted believers, most likely. And he's saying, continue to be faithful. This is what a life of faithfulness looks like in your relationship with Christ. And so, uh, you know, at one point in James, James makes the point, you know, faith without works is dead. And really, he's making the same point that Paul made. Shall I go on sinning? Shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? And Paul says, by no means. So we're gonna, what we're going to do today is take a look at the book of James. It's five chapters. There's no way we're covering even a, a good portion of it. Read it deeply. We encourage all the listeners to read it deeply and, and take a look at it. We're just going to skip a stone across the surface. You ever win a stone skipping contest or anything like that? Uh, is that a is that a big deal down in the bayou? You know, or does it like hit a hit a gator's head and just stop before hey, the third bounce? I, look, I love to skip rocks as much as any uh, human being, uh, but no, I was never a part of a uh, stone skipping contest. So let's take a look at, at some things that James says. We're gonna. This is one of the places where the the, the stone's going to just skip across. And I want to pick it up at James 1, verse 13, because he, he does talk about some, some things in our life. But 1, verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Therefore, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. He is reminding us right here that, yes, we have freedom in Christ, but that is not a license to go live life any way that we want. Everyone gets tempted. It's part of evil being in the world, but don't let your desires control you. Don't let the temptations of the world, the, the flesh within us, don't let it grow at all. He says it's conceived, it gives birth, it's full grown. He uses the language of death. He gives the language of a life cycle of a human being. Do not let sin do that in your life. Over in verse 21, he says this, Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So he starts off this book of just saying, there is sin in the world and it's in your life and it's moral filth and you got to get rid of it. Why is this such a, 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 thing, a repetitive theme throughout Scripture because these these were first generation Christians, and they, a lot of these folks knew the apostles. I mean, they they had met them face to face, and yet they just didn't want to free themselves from sin. Common story. Yeah, yeah, and throughout I mean, time. Yeah, and I mean, Paul himself in Romans seven talks about his own wrestling with his own depravity. We're going to wrestle with our depravity. And James's point is don't, I mean, one of his points is don't justify it. Don't give in to your evil desires. Don't make an excuse for it. Uh, 
you know, there's there's the temptation in the midst of our our struggles with our depravity um, to even you know there's all there's the temptation to to give ourselves over to those things and even to to attempt to justify those things. I mean, you know, one of the temptations that that's inherent uh, sometimes to to humanity, um, even within the church, it's the idea that well, you know, I'm not that bad, and so again, you know. Uh, we start getting into the whole like uh, religious comparison thing where, you know, we look at our brother in Christ and we think to ourselves, well, I'm not as bad as green bomb, so I'm doing okay. And so I can give myself to this temptation. I can give myself to this uh, depraved desire. I can go and scratch that itch because at the end of the day, I'm not really that bad. In James one twenty seven, he has something that kind of echoes what you're saying. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, get, be in the world, but don't let the world corrupt you. Don't let the, world, the world's filth get on you. Take care of the pigs, but don't smell like them. Yeah, and, <laughs> Something and, like that. And, and one of the things we don't want to gloss over here is that James— instructs us relative to, you know, how do we discern between what is good, right, and whole, and that which is unholy, uh, the, those desires of the flesh. And in, in James, in verse 22, James makes the point, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And so God has, in his goodness and his love for us, has given us his word as this objective truth that stands outside of us that can confront our brokenness. It is the light unto which exposes the, the darkness and the depraved desires of our own hearts, of our own minds. That verse you just read might be one of the most important verses to me, at least in the whole book of James, that there's a tendency, I think, for many of us to listen to the word, most people didn't read back then, so they would hear it spoken to them when they came to the synagogue or came to the church, came to the gathering, the house church, wherever it was. They would listen. He says, if you only listen, or in our case, if you only read, or if you only listen to a podcast or whatever it is, that's deceiving yourselves if you don't apply it, if you don't live it out, if you don't do what it says in life. I love that passage, and it's helped me in my life and tremendously. Uh, to know that God is for me and and Scripture is there for us to learn from and to grow with. So let's look at a little bit of what are the do what it says part is. James chapter 2, maybe one of the more famous passages in the book of James. And I'm just going to pick out a snippet of it, and then you can pick out one if you want, and we can just talk about it. But verse 14 through 17, James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's a, it's a powerful statement to me that our faith must be lived out in the world. It must be, it's, our, our faith is not earned by our good deeds in the world. 
But if we truly have faith, we're going to have good deeds in the world. So he said in, in James 1, 27, look after the orphans and widows. And here, look after somebody who's without clothing, without food, and to find ways that we can have an impact on the life of people who are around us who are in need and pour ourselves out for them and, and care for them. And if we have faith, if, we, if, if God is in us, then we're called to live that kind of life, you know? Yeah, and as followers of Christ, we're we're called to be to serve as as Jesus's kingdom ambassadors in this world, and so we're going to be representatives of His kingdom. And as representatives of His kingdom, we're going to live into Christ's call upon our life, which is to take up our cross and follow Him, to die to self, to live for Him. That this is the outcome of our of our salvation is that there's going to be a life that increasingly is identified with Christ. It's increasingly identified with our Lord, with our King. Um, our lives are going to increasingly reflect him, um, in, uh, in this world. He goes on to talk about more aspects of this in our lives. In James chapter three, he's talking about how we talk. The things that come out of our mouths, and I love the this passage because um, when I was a student in college, I attended a a student ministry on on Sunday mornings. There were about five hundred students that were there. It was it was pretty well attended at at the campus, and this was the the first opportunity that I ever had on stage to give a devotion. It wasn't a sermon by any means, but as a student, they did some leadership development things in people's lives. And this is the passage that I, I remember giving. So it's, I don't know, it's not my first sermon, but it's my first sermonette or whatever it was, first devotions on a, on a stage in front of a bunch of people. And it brings back a lot of memories to me. I don't remember if they assigned it to me or if I picked it. I don't remember because it was so many years ago. But it's in James chapter 3, and I'll just pick it up in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire. Down in verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have, made, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So this is another expression to me, Ben, of this, this whole concept of we, we become followers of Christ and it changes who we are. And it's not just serving the poor, the needy, the widows, the orphans, but it's also how we speak, the words that come out of our mouths, how we talk to others and about others, the the kind of language that, that comes from our mouths. And James says it matters. Like how we, how we talk 
really matters to to the world. I want to dip into to chapter four and verse seven, and I'd like you to to read for us verses seven to ten, and and give me some response to that. Piece. I, I gave you my little lecture on hmm. on the on speaking. Uh, give give us one on on what this says about the enemy of our souls. Yeah, James 4, uh, 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Um, and, and basically, you know, James is making the point to us here. I, I think there's two things. One, the, the devil is not the boogeyman that lives under the bed that has free reign and access to the life of the, the Christ follower. I think sometimes people have that impression as if, you know, the devil made me do it. And so I had no control over my, my actions. There, there, nothing could be further from the truth. That's what I call Hollywood theology. Uh, where we see, you know, we see some uh, some TV show or some movie, and the devil seems and his his you know demons, d- the dominion of darkness seems to have like full reign and power and authority uh, over others. That's, that's not true of the life of the believer. And so James calls us to resist the devil, recognizing that Christ Himself, that God Himself, is present with us through the Holy Spirit. And so as we flee the devil, as we turn our hearts over uh, to, to Christ, God empowers us through the work of the Spirit to resist the temptations of the devil. It doesn't mean that the, the resisting of the temptation isn't difficult. Um, I, I do believe, you know, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about the thorn in his flesh. Sometimes people think that that was some sort of physical ailment. You know, Paul uh, had poor eyesight. Uh, scripture alludes to that point. And uh, Paul himself alludes to that point. And so some people think that the thorn in Paul's flesh was the physical condition of having poor eyesight. I think that Paul was made to wrestle with aspects of sin in his life. And God says, my grace is sufficient uh, for you. And so as we wrestle with that sin, we turn our heart, we, we uh, fix our gaze, we fix our eyes, fix our hearts upon Christ, knowing that the Spirit will empower us and strengthen us against that temptation. One of the ways that God strengthens us against that temptation, that the Spirit is used to strengthen us against that temptation, can be in the even in the presence of a brother or sister in Christ that can be used by God in the power of the Spirit to hold us accountable um, and be a source of strength and encouragement even against that, that temptation. Yeah, that the whole concept of having a brother or sister in Christ around us is an important thread throughout Scripture, and James even almost concludes his letter mm-hmm. with that concept. It's James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So in this in this wrestling match that we sometimes have, I as Paul said, I do the very thing I hate. The, the, this idea that we have faith in Christ, but we also are overcoming. We're working out our salvation. We're overcoming the the temptations and the desires and the things that are in our brains and things come out of our mouths. The 
the physical temptations that we have, the desires, all these things that are talked about in here. Get a group of believers. Get some people you can trust. Confess sins. Pray for each other. And, and find healing through the, the power of two or three coming together in, in the name of the Lord. It's a, it's a great reminder. And, and so throughout this little letter that, that Paul writes, I mean, sorry, that James writes and that was distributed, it, it's, a, it's a reminder for me in my life not to give up and not to say, well, this is just who I am, but to continually let my life be refined by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and by the presence of other believers that are, that are around me. And that, that's a, a good thing for all of us to do. Uh, can you, could you close us off in some, some prayer today as we uh, talk about these topics of, of works and living a righteous life and sin and, and all these things? I, I just think it would be the, a good conclusion today. Ben? Father, I give you thanks uh, for this time to, to share with, uh, with Pastor Mark and also with Doug. Um, and, I, and I pray, Father, I pray that as followers of Christ, that we would long for the things that, that you, Father, want for us. Knowing that you are for us and you have revealed uh, your desire for us in redeeming us to yourself, that we ourselves, Lord God, would yield, uh, yield ourselves to you, that we would yield ourselves to the refining work of the Spirit, that the hunger of our hearts would be uh, to be renewed, uh, Lord God, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. May that be truly the hunger uh, of our heart. And so, Father, as Christ followers, we lay ourselves before you and we pray, uh, Father, in the power of the Spirit, transform our hearts, align our hearts with your heart, that we would come to love and cherish all that you love and cherish. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Thank you. And everybody else, thank you for listening today. Next week, we're going to take a look at a young man named Timothy that Paul mentored for ministry leadership. We'll take a look at his, his life and his writings over the next few weeks. And if you want to jump in deeper, you can go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be On Mission link. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may God bless.